the, the one of the biggest themes of the movie is the conflict between faith and science and are they reconcilable and how much of each of them is a true in general and b true in as much as people say it's true and tell you that it's true and you just kind of have to believe them it's it's somebody telling you to have faith as opposed to you just having the faith and believing in the thing <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Michael Bright Eyes Hamilton, and with me, I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Danny, the lawgiver, Damana. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, but the pestilence of man must be crushed in the forbidden zone. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> I had to get that out of the way. <laughs> Oh, and uh, if you've seen the title of this, ep- if you've seen the title of this episode, you're probably wondering to yourself, what does this have to do with giant monsters? Well, let me tell you, we have made it work, and it's my show, so I can do what I want. Uh, those are the two things you need to need to know about this episode. So, anyway, uh, Danny, first of all, let me thank you for coming on and being on the podcast again. I think this is maybe your third trip to. I about said to Monster Island, but that is a totally different show. That is altogether. That's, that is a, a, that's a different thing. That is a whole different thing. I don't even know where that came from. Um, I think it has something to do with a, a mutual friend of ours, but something that, like that. Something that, yeah, that that doesn't matter. No. Uh, but no, thank you for filling in. To, thank you for filling in today, man. I appreciate it. Travis had. To, if anyone's wondering where Travis is at, we did not kill him this time. I promise. Um, he actually had to be out for a family, uh, for a family thing, for a personal matter. And he asked Danny, uh, if he would step in and Danny so graciously obliged. So Danny, uh, thank you, man, for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be perfectly honest. It doesn't take a whole lot of convincing for me to want to sit and talk about planet of the apes. (laughs) So this was, this was a, uh, a no brainer. Um, this is the, the most, this is the easiest like decision podcast decision I have made in a long time. So I am, I am thrilled to be here. Absolutely. Planet, love this movie. Right. I, um, you were on my short list of people. Like when, when I knew that I had to have a fill in, uh, you were on my short list of people that I wanted to get on and talk about this movie with me. Cause there is no way that I was going to skip over this movie. Uh, spoiler. This is one of my favorite sci-fi fiction, sci-fi movies of all time. Uh, so I had to absolutely do this episode, but we'll get into all of that later. So Danny, um, for anyone who does not know who you are, you want to give the folks a brief synopsis synopsis. There, there's the word I'm looking for of who you are and what you do. All right. Synopsis time. Let's synopsis. do this. I'm, I'm not letting that go, by the way. That's a, that's it's a, fine. that's a thing. That'll be a t-shirt in, in under a week. Um, <laughs> No, so I am, uh, my name is Daniel DeMana, um, AKA the lawgiver as previously, uh, previously intimated, but yes, I am, uh, the creator and author of the Godzilla novelization project an ongoing, uh, perhaps ludicrously in depth and ambitious, uh, (laughs) this will consume years of my life, uh, endeavor on my part to novelize all of the Japanese Godzilla films and share them online 100% free with any kaiju fan who, would like to read them. And uh, I've been at it for, oh my gosh, three and a half years almost now. It's been a minute. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a hot minute, hasn't it? It's it, been a it's, real hot minute. It's been a piping hot minute. It's been an, an exceptionally uh, <laughs> synonyms for hot, scanning brain. Pipe, piping hot is the best I can come up with. This is what happens. <laughs> my, anyway, it's it's my human brain. I've not developed enough uh, to to know. It, I'm I'm not as smart as the apes, unfortunately. So. Not, well, I don't know if it takes much to be as smart as the apes, honestly. Yeah. That's a good point. But yeah, that's, that's really, that's me. I mean, I've, I'm around, I've been on quite a handful of Kaiju podcasts. I was on your show uh, where Mm. you interviewed me extensively and I didn't shut up uh, for two hours. (laughs) Actually, it was more like three. No, it was, but it was, I yammer, yammer. It was a great, I, I love that though. That was so fun. I came on um, a while ago with Travis to talk about the black scorpion, which was fun. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. You were on that episode. I forgot. About yeah. That. Yeah. So I guess if you're counting my interview, which was cut up in half, I guess this is trip number four, but not to monster Island, but not to monster Island somewhere else, anywhere, <laughs> but monster Island. <laughs> Who wants to go to that place? Literally no one except no this one, one except this one, this one lunatic that we know, but other than that, <laughs> Uh, that one lunatic and his imaginary friends. His, that's right. His, his imaginary <laughs> friends. We're dead, by the way. We're dead. We're, we're dead to him. We're, we're dead, dead to him. him. <laughs> we haven't said his name yet. Nobody knows it's na- <clears throat> nobody knows it's him. It's <laughs> it's true. That is true. So we might want to keep his identity a little his his identity secret. Just that's to, right. We'll keep it under to, wraps. Yeah, we don't want to break the illusion for folks. Yeah, that would just be wrong. That would be like, you know, seeing the hatch at the bottom of the hat where the, the rabbit crawls out. We don't want to ruin the, the magic. <laughs> well, speaking of magic, uh, looks like we have some news to get into. So, Danny, let's cue the beady beady. And uh, for our first news item, looks like we have some self-congratulatory uh, news. Issue three of Kaiju Ramen Magazine is now out for purchase digitally at kaijuramamagazine.com. You can purchase your own copy or you can download your own copy for $5.99 USD. And it is jam-packed with all kinds of kaiju and toku and giant monster goodness uh one article in particular i'm gonna let this fine gentleman plug it uh for just a hot second uh one is actually written by my friend danny here danny you want to tell us a little bit about the article that you wrote for the latest issue of kaiju ramen why i'd be glad to michael um no this is really this was really really fun uh i was asked uh for this article to do something relating to mr ray harryhausen uh, and, uh, that, again, that was the other easiest yes I've ever said to anything in my life, because again, it's Planet of the Apes, Godzilla and Ray Harryhausen. If you ask me to talk, I'll just go off. Um, Ray Harryhausen has always been a hugely significant figure mm-hmm. in my life as a creative person. And, um, right. I've done, I've done a lot of fun Harryhausen stuff over the years, but this was really kind of a fun opportunity to sit down and, because I didn't want to do because and i love all of these don't get me wrong but i feel like every magazine out there monster movie magazine has done a like a filmography mm-hmm. or a biography of ray harryhausen right. so that stuff's been done but uh what i wanted to do was talk about not the how or the who but the why mm-hmm. of ray harryhausen right. why after all these years are people still 
completely captivated by everything he did. There are kids today that are finding, we, we live in a world where, you know, a lot of kids don't like to watch black and white movies. They don't like to right. watch quote unquote older films, but mm-hmm. kids are still finding Ray Harryhausen. What's the magic? What's the appeal? And that's what this article tackles. And it was such a joy to write. Uh, and I, I, I thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to, to have it in the magazine. I, I, it, it went to a good home. So I'm, uh, I'm, completely thrilled that it's there and i hope people enjoy it yeah uh danny you forgot to tell people the name of the actual article the name of the actual article is children of the hydra's teeth the enduring legacy of ray harryhausen and uh i believe it's the second or third article in the magazine uh yeah i think it's yeah i think it might be yeah but i think it is the second article it's the the second one after the um that really really excellent one about undersea life that was yes, a great article. Yeah, that one was written by our friend, uh, Sam, uh, Dr. Sam Perrin. And yeah. uh, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed uh, reading through your article as I am work as I was working on the magazine. And after the fact, I sat down and actually read it uh, and digested it for what it is. And it's a really well-written piece. I enjoyed it so much. And I'm like you. I love Harry. I love Ray Harryhausen. Like, oh, yeah. I think I'm, I, I, I. I'm a little bit different in the sense of yours is Harryhausen, Planet of the Apes, and Godzilla. Mine is probably Power Rangers, Godzilla, Ray Harryhausen, but Harryhausen is going to be in there somewhere because I grew up with that stuff. Like I like I remember those good old days of of watching uh, Valley of Guanji on the old uh, I think the old TMC on the old TMC network. Yeah. Um, at sometime in, on Saturday afternoon or, or something, whatever. And yeah, Ray Harryhausen films are they're surprisingly timeless for how, for how old they are. They are surprisingly time, timeless, both in the artistry that goes into them and the themes behind the film. So, so yes, thank you. Thank you so much for writing that article. Uh, And again, if you want to check out that article and more, uh, go over to kaijuramamagazine.com and purchase your own digital copy, which I need to add. Uh, physical copies are coming. We will let everyone know as soon as those are available. It shouldn't take very long to get them back from the printer. So as soon as we get physical copies in stock, we will make sure to put out a tweet on our social medias, kaiju or kaiju underscore ramen on Twitter. Um, uh, watch watch out for that. Watch out there for all updates for the physical copies. It's worth owning physically. It's uh. Oh. Yeah, it it's, is. It's absolutely worth it. I mean, I, I I've read everything. I mean, I I also was an editor on the on this issue, so I got to read all the articles before they came out several times, and they are all rock solid. Um, this is something that is like this is shelf worthy. This yeah. is a shelf worthy thing. So if if for no other reason than just the the cover art, I mean, my gosh, like having that like in your own space, like that beautiful cover art. Yeah, good absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And and thank you to everyone who's contributed so far. Uh, so moving on to the next little bit of news, it looks like our friends at Mondo is releasing an all new got an all new figure. Um, uh, it looks like uh, they're going to be releasing a new seven. Is it seven and a half inches, Danny? Mm-hmm. I don't. I yeah. forgot to pull. I forgot to get the specs on this thing. Yeah, like, seven and seven and a half inches, I believe. Seven, yeah, seven and a half inch uh, Godzilla, nineteen seventies Godzilla. Uh, from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon Godzilla the Animated Series uh, as part of their all-new Godzilla Museum line. Um, the figure will cost around $120 USD, which is way more expensive than I expected it to be, uh, and will be available, air, let's just say scare quotes, available um, <laughs> 
on August the 17th at 12 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, which at the time of this recording, we're recording this uh, the day before because uh, yeah. we had to record on a Monday. So be, tomorrow, at, yeah. yeah. I'll, be, I'll be trying to get it. I, uh, I'm hoping... I've, I'm almost tempted to not even try, but I, this is the one out of the whole Godzilla museum line they've announced that I desperately want. Um, so yeah. I, I really do. It's, it's 50, 50 for me because I, um, on one hand it's, it's Mondo being Mondo. There's a chance it could sell out. Like it might already be sold out right now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like it could already be gone. I mean, we don't know. Uh, or since it's a statue uh, and it's, a slightly it's it's it seems like it's more of along the lines of their mothra and their godzilla 89 statue so they might stick mm-hmm. around a little longer but right. they're cheaper and also the hanna-barbera godzilla is super nostalgic so yeah. it could i really don't it could sell out instantly or it could stick around for a few weeks or it could be like the mothra statue where i believe the limited edition version is still available right now like on the website i think it's still there so it, i it's a it's up in the air i'm gonna try to get it uh, because I mean, if I only get one of those statues, that's going to be it. And I, I, I hope actual Godzilla collectors who aren't an army of robots, uh, <laughs> actually get them this time. That would be nice. That would be, that would be nice. And I think you're right. I think the Mothra statue, uh, the 92 Mothra, I think it's, is it the 92 or the 2002 Mothra statue? So 2003, Tokyo. 2003. There we go. 2003. Yeah. Uh, the 2003 Mothra statue is still, I think still available. It's still pre-order? there. I actually I think so. I checked today. I checked a few hours ago, and unless something happened a couple hours ago, I'm not aware of. It's uh, it's still there, and uh, I haven't gotten it because I um, I decided I needed to eat instead of own that statue. <laughs> I tr- and I'm the biggest <laughs> I'm the biggest Mothra fanboy I know. So passing on I don't it is know about that. Travis is pretty. Travis is a pretty big Mothra fanboy. I'll fight him. I'll, where is he? Where <laughs> well, he where couldn't be here this week. Uh, he he was actually probably too scared to be on this week because he knew you were coming and you were you bigger, and you're a bigger Mothra fan than I'm him. A bigger Mothra. You don't want to mess with you know these. You don't want to mess with Mothra fans. We're a we're a, a rough and rowdy crowd. We are. Um, <laughs> oh. There's more, more than enough room for Mothra lovers everywhere. And uh, but yeah. it, it's not it hasn't sold out and it's still up and my brain keeps going. It's still there. Buy it. And I'm like no rent. But I was ha- I was having an interesting conversation with a friend of mine in a Facebook group and who's also a fellow collector. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that it may not be a case of it giving because let's just because anyone who's not familiar, Mondo is notorious for selling out things extremely quickly, specifically Ooh, those pr- those limited edition, those limit limited edition. There we go. <laughs> uh, prints that they put out every now and then for Godzilla. I think the last one they put out the Godzilla versus Moth or Mothra versus Godzilla poster from 64. Uh, that one sold out pretty much instantly. Yep. Um, the 1984, uh, 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 what is it? Cherry. Yeah. The cherry blossom, pink glow in the dark vinyl Safube sold out in 0.3 seconds or po- I'm sorry, 0. 0.00000003 000 seconds. And approximately, um, approximately, approximately. Um, but Mondo is notorious for having their stuff sell out. Now I was talking with a, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and they said that given how small these are, and how, um, and that they're statues, like we're like we were talking about. There is a possibility that there is a larger run attached to these, like maybe three thousand. So if it's if it's in the thousands and not just in the hundreds, 
I'm gonna say that there's a better chance of real collectors, I should say, quote unquote, real collectors getting their hands on them, not robots uh, that will lay that will have them instantly up on eBay five minutes later. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a chance that us real collectors can get our hands on them. And you're right; those like this 1970s Hanna Barbera Godzilla figure is the one that I personally want myself. I want it because in the I as it's as it was mentioned in the uh, press release for this for this item. There, I don't think that there's been any other uh, toy representations of the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla um, ever been made. So this will be literally the first, which this is, will this add is the first. This will be the first. So this will add to its rarity. This will add to its to the the importantness of this of this little figure. So, like you, Danny, I'm gonna try to. I'm debating on whether or not I want to go for it because I'm kind of drowning in toys at this point anyway. Um, if, if you're going to drown in anything, I mean, why not make true. it this way? <laughs> this is, there's worse, there's worse, there are worse habits to have people. That's true. Just because I collect adult toys, don't judge me. There are worse things to do. There are worse, there are worse collect, there are worse things to buy, of course. Um, but I'm thinking about getting this one. I'm almost on the fence about getting this one and the one by uh, Attack Peter. That one's cool. Uh, that, that one's cool. awesome. Um, I'm not so much interested in the Shodai Goji because I'm kind of swimming in Shodai Goji myself. I love the 54 design. Um, and as well you should. As well I should. As well as anyone should. That's right. And it's, fa- a, it's a requirement. It is. Uh, but yeah, I'm probably going to go after it. Um, I'll let her, obviously I'm sure I'll let everyone know if I miss out or if I get screwed over by the bots on Tuesday. So yeah, the world will know the world will know (laughs) anyway, moving on to the next little bit of news. Uh, this is actually kind of a, this is actually kind of related to what we were just talking about. The official Godzilla YouTube channel has started releasing clips, uh, of the Godzilla, the animated series. I think they're starting with episode one. Uh, I cannot remember what the, the Firebird. I think it's what it's called. Yes. Um, they started with episode one. They're releasing them in like six minute clips a piece, which the show is only like 20 minutes. I don't know why they don't just release full episodes, but whatever. Uh, but the official Godzilla t- YouTube channel is releasing the Hanna-Barbera series in clips. Danny, have you seen, are, do we know if these are the same, um, these are the, this is the same versions that we've been get that, that I think we have currently on DVD now. Like they've not been remastered in any way. As far as I can tell, I don't think they've been remastered. The, the, the Hanna-Barbera series is in such a weird, uh, it's, it, it's, it really, it's such a weird place right now because it's, it's got, there's a lot, it's like one of those things where there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. So you've got Hanna-Barbera, which is now part of Warner Brothers, and the DVDs came from Classic Media, and then DreamWorks bought Classic Media, and then Universal Pictures bought DreamWorks. So the, the And then Toho's in there somewhere because it's Godzilla, so it's all over the place. So that's it, it's a confusing history, and it's a series that, it's so weird because you can walk into like a Walmart right now and you can buy the Flintstones, the Jetsons, and every other Hanna-Barbera thing ever made on DVD or Blu-ray and get on Amazon and buy all of those. You can buy weird, obscure, like <laughs> insane Hanna-Barbera shows that will melt your brain. But you, this one is like, it's, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, the DVDs are very out of print uh, and they only released 13 out of the 26 episodes anyway. So if Toho has been able to work some kind of Toho magic, and even if they release some like not high def, but not like, 
like, recorded off of Cartoon Network in 1991 <laughs> clips <laughs> from, yes. from the, the missing 13 episodes, which can be found via fan copies online. But they're mm-hmm. I'm glad they, the quality isn't great. I'm just happy they exist. Um, right. But if they have like if they upload something from one of the episode 14 through 26 and it doesn't look like, you know, somebody spilled coffee on it 30 years ago, then (laughs) that might be an indication that something behind the scenes is is moving in a direction of maybe a complete release. But I wouldn't jump to conclusions about it. Uh, I can't tell if the clips are have been altered, remastered, pumped through an HD transfer or anything like that. I can't quite tell. I need to look closer. But uh, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I'm glad they're I'm glad it's being acknowledged. Uh, yeah, I'll say I same, yeah. same. I, I'm I'm glad that I'm glad it's being acknowledged too because I feel like the Hanna Barbera because uh, we did an episode on the Hanna Barbera mm-hmm. uh, cartoon back in no I think it was back in November when we did Godzilla Month and because we wanted to uh, you know pay homage to that series because we kind of draw our rating system from you know Godzuki anyway. Uh, we'll get to that later, but, um, but yeah, where I, I really want Toho to do something with the, uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoon because that was part of my childhood. Like I remember watching that on the old cartoon network, uh, when I was a kid and I just, and I kind of want that to come back and I want Toho to, um, to do something with it. So hopefully this is a step in the right direction. I hope so. I hope so. Fingers crossed for, um, for, uh, uh, <laughs> Lurch Godzilla and Godzuki to uh Yeah, that's my there you go. I can only do that once. I won't be able to talk about Planet of the Apes. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our last little bit of news. It is more collector's news. It looks like Spiral Studios, who is known for uh the recently released uh King Ghidorah 19 uh 20, I'm sorry, 2019 uh resin figure will be dipping their toe into vinyl with their first 35 centimeter release of the Mothra larva, which was a really random thing for them to start with uh, (laughs) from the gods from Godzilla King of the monsters, 2019, no pricing or availability has been announced yet, but we have seen uh, prototype, at least prototype shots of the, of the larva. It looks great. I'm sure it'll look even better when it's, when it's painted right now. I think the ones we've seen are just a computer rendering and a, um, like a brown, a brown mock-up version Mm -hmm. of the, basically probably what I would say a a brown clay mock-up or something like that. Um, again, Spiral Studios is giving other companies, a lot, I should say other high-end toy companies a run for their money and i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with the rest of the line for king of the monsters oh man spiral noted wallet murderer spiral studios (laughs) is um (laughs) there's that king Ghidorah man whoo i was talking i was talking to um i was talking to leslie i was briefly talking to leslie chambers the other day um about about coming on to his show and talking about the magazine and he had just put up his review of the King Ghidorah 2019 or sorry, he was working on his review for the King Ghidorah 2019 and whoa boy that, Oh man, that is a beautiful, beautiful beast. And if you have, and if you have a small house to put it in, uh, because that is what it requires uh, to, to keep that thing away, to keep that thing safe and sound, more power to you because it is it is a beautiful piece and a beautiful addition to any collector's um any collector's room yeah i mean i 
I can't wait either, dude. I mean, the um, the Mothra, I, honestly, I think they made a good choice with Mothra because there aren't a lot of collectibles of that version of Mothra. So there's probably going to be plenty of interest from people who are like, you know, the, the completionists who are like, I got to have every version of everything. I'm not talking about anyone, me <clears throat> in, specifically here, but because um, <laughs> Bandai... <laughs> <laughs> spiral darn it spiral no i um the there's only a couple out there i do have one it's the bandai spirits one it's it's really little but it's really detailed uh, so yeah i have that one so i, I kind of have that checked off my list but depending on how this one looks i might uh i might spring for it the the king Ghidorah and the uh the godzilla with fiery mothra wings coming out of him uh which is just stunningly beautiful they were too expensive for me so i did not go for them uh, also, I didn't have enough money to buy a second house to store the Ghidorah in. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to pay his own rent. So uh, I'd, like, I um, I caved and I pre-ordered the Burning Godzilla. I only yeah. bar- I, I only I only pre-ordered the standard, though. Mm-hmm. So the standard was a uh, standard was all, by all by relative standards was a lot cheaper than I was expecting it to be. So I went ahead, I pre-ordered it. I have, I have more time. I have until what February, I have until February of 2022 to pay it off. I'm fine. I couldn't pass up. I couldn't pass it up. So, so yeah. And I ordered it from, uh, who actually is our sponsor for this, for this episode. Uh, another great sponsor who decided to come on and partner with us and partner with specifically Kaiju Ramen Magazine. And that is our friends over at Kaiju Live. Uh, if anyone is not familiar with Kaiju Live, they are a uh, family-owned and operated business. They're a auction show that airs every Sunday night on YouTube. Uh, they're a lot of fun. It is a father and son team, Frank and AJ Russo. And what they do basically is they uh, are collectors just like you and me, Danny, and they mm-hmm. provide a service where we get to come on, the, we, where people watch their show. They bid on um, rare Safube, uh, Bandai X plus you name it. They've probably got it somewhere in their storehouse and they're going to auction it off. Um, Frank and AJ Russo are, are two fantastic men. And I just love buying things from them because first of all, I trust them. Second of all, when they ship you things, they actually ship things securely and they actually ship things to where they won't break in the box. Like I've had happened to me before it's rare uh, how how rare it's crazy how kind of rare that is with people like just pack it right you know Come right on. exactly but those guys do a uh, great job right and uh they wanted me to mention that they are going to be offering free sh- free u.s shipping on on not all but a lot of the items on their website which is kaijulive.shop so if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for x plus if you're looking for bandai if you're looking for i think three they still have some of the three zero power ranger stuff up on their website i think they even have they started carrying some of the lightning collection stuff on their website so if that is something that interests you head on over to kaijulive.shop I promise you, you will not regret it. They're a bunch of great guys and I love supporting them. And I really appreciate them supporting this show and supporting Kaiju Ramen Magazine. Yeah, they're there. There's a couple of upstanding gents. That's for sure. They are. Absolutely. Also, also, congratulations on that gorgeous segue there. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I try. I try. Sometimes the segues on this show don't quite work out, (laughs) but that one just seemed uh, that one just seemed like it worked impeccably that well. was good that was that was uh i'm i'm honestly jealous 
that was <laughs> I'm I got a little tear in my eye. It was it was honestly oh, pretty man, profound. I appreciate yeah. that. Oh yeah. I appreciate that. I've never made someone cry with my se- actually I have made people cry from my segues, but it's always been in a bad way. Um not this time, my on. friend. Not this time. <laughs> Moving on to our main topic for this week. Uh, This episode is going to be our third episode of Listener's Choice Month. And if you've not been following along, shame on you, first of all. And second of all, we have been dedicating the entire month of August to Listener's Choice. So basically, we've we've been having polls. We've been asking our listeners what films do you want us to cover during the month of August? And this week is our left of center choice because everyone, know, if anyone's listened to the show, you know that me and Travis, we both appreciate a good left of center choice. And I am super excited about the film that we're going to be talking about during this episode. So uh, really briefly, let me go over the results of the most recent poll associated with this episode. Uh, we featured three films. Uh, the first one was food of the gods, from 1976, which got 22% of the vote. Monsters versus Aliens from 2009, that got 34% of the vote. And honestly, sidebar, I honestly thought that one would win because I love that movie as well. So I honestly, thought that, I honestly thought Monsters versus Aliens would win. But I am so, so happy to say that the winner with 44% of the vote was 1968's Planet of the Apes. Uh, And since we have no trivia for this episode, because everyone kind of knew what film we were going to be covering, I went ahead and asked our uh, I went ahead and asked our followers on Twitter uh, to give us their thoughts on this film. So I'm going to read off a few of those uh, really quickly before we get into the nitty gritty of the movie. Um, Joe Jira wrote us and said the film is is a madhouse, a madhouse. Uh, but other than that, it's a masterpiece. And I cannot agree with you more, Joe Jira. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Raymond said. Martin. Uh, Raymond Martin says, fun fact, while orangutans are the gentlest of large primates, gorillas as quote, unquote, as quote unquote soldiers slash enforcers would have been a colossal failure as the apes use as the ace as the apes use bluster and threat rather than physical violence the solitary uh the soul the solid no, the soldiery uh this let's say the soldiery would have been oh sorry the soldiers that would have been much more aggressive sorry about that raymond uh would have actually been the chimpanzees and i actually kind of agree with you because chimpanzees are nasty little creatures they're pretty brutal they are uh our friend elijah um Please forgive me because I don't know what song this is. Because the last time he wrote us a poem, I said it was a poem. It was actually a song. It was a uh, Bob Seger song. I have no idea what he's writing us this time because I forgot to ask him. Uh, so um, Elijah at the Kaiju Conversations podcast writes us, he wants to dream like a young ye- like a young Yeti with the wisdom of an old Yeti. He wants his home and nipples. He wants to live like a large ape. Beautiful Yeti, where are you going to inflate? You real, you realize you just can't have deflated nips. He's the oldest and he's the best nip. He has the oldest and is the best nipples. If you need them, they'll be there again. They'll always be, they'll all, they're always willing to be the second best, a perfect lodger, a perfect guest, beautiful Yeti, read it on the wall, read it on the wall and realize you just have it. You just, you just have to have it all. Five out of five. Um, thank you. I think Elijah, 
for I'm that. Crying. I'm crying again, but for different reasons. I know I did. I know I didn't do that justice. Uh, but who cares? Anyway, moving on. Jimmy from Nassau. Uh, wrote us uh, Pierre Boulet, the novel's author, stole this idea from me. Or rather, he based it on a very weird mission I went on before the war in space. You may say, quote, but that was in the 80s and he wrote this in the 50s. There were reasons I hate time travel, man. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate that. What an enigma Mr. Jimmy is. Mr. James. Thank you, Mr. James. Uh, Nathan at the Monster Island Film Vault writes, you can't go wrong with a classic. It's an extended Twilight Zone episode with an ambitious with ambitious makeup, great acting, and biting social so- social commentary. The novel it's based on is quite good and, uh, and is very different. Plus, Charlton Heston's character is from my hometown, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Well, thank you, Nathan, for writing in. I know Nathan's been telling me, because I have personally never read the novel Nathan has been telling me forever that I need to read the novel, especially since, um, and by forever, I mean, since I told him we were going to be doing this episode, mm-hmm. he said, dude, you need to read the novel. So I will get around to reading the novel at some point. Highly recommended. The novel is really its own beast. There's obviously a lot of shared things as the movie is based off of it, but it really goes in its own. It's, it's, I don't want to say too much because you know how the the ending of Planet of the Apes, the movie is like astonishingly a good, especially if it's the first time you've seen it. The ending, the twist ending of the book is different than the twist ending of the movie. And it is every bit as chilling and effective, right. maybe even more. And I refuse to say more, read it. It's so good. Okay. Okay. Our friend, Chris Deggle writes us planet of the apes, planet of the apes wants you to believe it's an old fashioned, uh, flash Gordon, like pulp flick, pulp flick. But the twist is, that it is very, but, but that it is, it is way more clever and realistic due to the progression of sci-fi films in the late decades. The twist of subverting the expectations doesn't hit as hard as in the seventies. Also there, there is no movie that gets spoiled as much as planet of the apes. I mean, the statue of Liberty is one of the flip is, is on the flipping DVD cover. All that combined (laughs) Uh, prevented me from become all of that all of that combined prevented me from becoming a huge fan still i still really like the flick i still really like the flick though also planet of the apes a musical is one of the best simpsons moments of all time and i do agree with that because that's a good one that's i do remember that yeah (laughs) uh our last answer comes from madison russell on twitter surprisingly i got to see the movie's twist in a uh twist in a relatively pure in a relatively pure form as a kid but i just started halfway through during the night but it got me quite good well thank you madison for that feedback on the film and if you haven't figured it out by now we are doing 1968's uh sci-fi classic planet of the apes and uh, our cast and crew for Planet of the Apes uh, looks like it was directed by Franklin J. Schaefer. Screenplay by Michael Wilson and Rod Sterling. It's based on the novel by Pierre Boulet. I hope I say that correctly. Um, Charlton Hes- it stars Charlton Heston as George Taylor. Roddy, the great Roddy McDowell as Cornelius. Kim Hunter as Dr. Zira. Uh, Maurice Evans as Dr. Zayas. James Whitmore as president of the assembly, James Daly, I hope I said that right, as Heronius, um, Linda Harrison, the beautiful Linda Harrison as Nova, Robert Gunner as Landon, Lou 
uh, Lou Wanger, uh, Lou Wagner, Lou Lou Wagner. Sorry about that. Lou Wagner as Lucius, uh, Woodrow Parfrey, uh, Parfrey as Maximus, Jeff Burton as Dodge, uh, Buck, uh, Carlton. No, that's not it. Cartalian. Cartalian. There we go. As Julius and Wright King as Dr. Galen. And for our plot breakdown of this movie, Danny, what is the plot breakdown of Planet of the Apes from 1968? All right. I don't really know how to do this film justice. It's uh, the, the it's just it's just so darn good. So here's here's the setup. It starts in what I believe is 1970s Japan. And these two kids and a scientist get frozen in these weird kind of ice cream cone shaped cubicles. And when they wake up, all of these apes have taken over Japan and there's only one human that they can find. His name is Goto. And they basically have to survive 26 episodes. Wait, hang on. That I've got the wrong script here. That's Time of the Apes. I'm sorry. <laughs> what movie are we doing again? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh man. Thank you so much All for right. that, Danny. Uh, but yes, we are doing, we are not doing Time of the Apes, that no, Japanese no. pulp, that Japanese cult classic, Time of the Apes, that I've never seen. Um, we are doing 1968's Planet of the Apes. And Danny, I'm going to let you start us off. What are your opening thoughts for Planet of the Apes? Um, masterpiece. I mean, I really don't know what else to say. Planet of the Apes stands as easily one of the greatest achievements in science fiction filmmaking of all time. It has a tremendous legacy that can't be quantified. The film itself obviously spawned a bunch of, you know, sequels and, you know, a couple TV shows and two different attempts at a reboot, one of which led to a trilogy. It's, and they're still working on new planet of the Apes stuff right now. I mean, there's comics, there's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff, video games, but it all, unless you, I mean, cinematically speaking, obviously, cause there's a book before, but it all t- starts cinematically speaking with this film. And, it is um, just an astonishing film uh, from top to bottom. It's so well written. Thanks, Rod Serling. Uh, the story is absolutely great. A lot of credit has to go to Michael Wilson, too. He came in kind of late in the game, but uh, he ended up helping to kind of polish it. Um, so it's well written. The script is great. It's beautifully acted. Everyone in the film is amazing. I mean, Trump Heston, need I say more? Right. I mean, just astonishing. Based on a fantastic book, uh, Frank Schaffner does not get nearly enough credit as a director. This is probably his best known film. Um, but it's just, I mean, we'll, we'll get into more of that as we kind of go along. But just opening thoughts are, if you were to like make, you know, put like the, the best science fiction films in the world up on pedestals, this needs to be in that pantheon. This needs to be on the Mount Rushmore of 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 science fiction films right up there with 2001 right up there with blade runner you know if we're talking about great sci-fi films also sci-fi films that juggle entertainment with social commentary in an intelligent way which is not easy to do this film does that special effects the makeup is amazing um the i I mean and again we'll talk about it later on too but the soundtrack is amazing it's just an across the board masterpiece Mm -hmm. and um it is one of those films that has stood the test of time. I'd argue that it is, you know, especially in a film dealing with time jumps, timeless. You mm-hmm. know, it, it feels 
very much of its time, but it also feels like it could have been made earlier or later. It's kind of like Wizard of Oz like that. A lot of people think Wizard of Oz came out in the 50s. Nope. Yeah. You know, it just kind of stands completely in its own class of excellence. Um, I adore this film. I've loved it since I was very little. I don't recall how old I was when I first saw this film. I was young, though. I was a kid. I was at my grandparents' house, and my mom brought in this. I, I owe my mom a lot because her taste in movies became mine, and she inter- right. she she'd introduced me to movies that she saw as a kid. And she said, we're watching Planet of the Apes tonight. And I remember the, the, the VHS cover, which, as you pointed out earlier in one of the uh, bit of the feedback, does spoil the ending. But I didn't I was a young I was young, so I didn't really like I didn't really interpret what I was seeing. All I saw was the big, scary ape face. And then I turned it around and I saw the pictures on the back of the makeup. And I was like, what is this? This looks crazy. And I watched it. And uh, I was it's one of those cinema experiences, even though the TV I was watching it on was like you know, five inches across. It was like one of those little box TVs with a built-in VCR. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And I still like to this day, uh, remember, I I don't think I blinked once, you know, it just completely captured my imagination. I was completely thrilled. It scared me. It disturbed me. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's still kind of a very disturbing film to me. Uh, like what, the more I think about it and the implications of it, it's just a very, it just, it gets to me. So all these years later, having, of course, seen all the watched all the sequels as a kid and having followed all of the the, the reboots and all that stuff. It's just mm-hmm. it is easily up there in the upper echelon for me of my favorite things on the planet. And it's in the it's it's a contender for my favorite film of all time. Mm-hmm. It's up there. You know, this is one of those fran- the Planet of the Apes franchise is one you don't hear a whole lot about. Uh, I, I know several people that didn't even like back when um, I'm trying to think of when the first, the first second, the the second round of remakes, I should say started hitting theaters. The with the rise uh, was in uh, 2011. Was it in 2011? Okay. So I knew it was, I knew it was not too far back, but it was far back enough where it was like a lot of people I talked to that went to go watch that movie that loved that movie. Uh, did not know that this movie started in 1968. Like this is the original. Um, And I'm like you, Danny, I, I grew, I grew up with this movie. I saw this movie as a child. I don't know why my parents showed me this movie (laughs) as a kid, uh, because I go back and watch this movie as an adult. And I'm like, there are some, there's some really disturbing imagery in this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, For a kid, like the scene where uh, the scene where, um, uh, Colonel Taylor is, is running through the museum and he runs into, he runs into his, uh, friend Landon, the, the crew member that crash landed on the planet with him. Uh, and his friend Landon is just, st- or, uh, uh, even further back than that. Like you, I don't know, I don't know how much of this made it into television, but I know it was on the VHS, uh, his friend Landon getting shot in the back of the neck at, during the, uh, during the hunting scene, during the roundup scene with the gorillas. Yeah. And there are some really disturbing imagery in this movie. And I don't know, have a clue why my parents let me watch it, honestly. <laughs> but um, thank God for them. Thank God specifically for my dad, because my dad was a big Charlton Heston uh, fan. Because I know, uh, Charlton Heston was in a lot of uh, spaghetti. I think he was in he was in a few spaghetti westerns. I think mm-hmm. uh, along with Clint, along with Clint. No, 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 no. Sorry, I get him and Clint Eastwood mixed up, and I know I should. Oh, you're I, thinking of Clint? Okay, I'm thinking of Clint because they actually look very similar. Him and Clint 
have a very similar look to they, them. They have it's the stare and the fact that they don't open their mouths when they talk like that right. <laughs> that intensity you know that old kind of classic hollywood tough guy intensity with that grit you know mm-hmm. yes i'm trying to remember what came first planet of the apes or omega man omega man uh, was made later was that made was made later. in okay. the uh, in the 1970s that was after figures after apes um and before apes charlton has i mean charlton heston was a legend ben hur Right. Uh, the Ten Commandments, and oh, he yeah. he actually did he did a lot of period pieces like that. He did a movie called The Warlord a few years before Apes came out that was directed by Frank Schaffner, who did Apes, and that's actually how Schaffner got the job. Is when they were shopping the script for Apes around, Chuck Heston read it and said, "This is amazing. I really want to do this." Oh, and I know this director; uh, he's really good, and so he helped get Schaffner on board. And that's so that they got an actor and a director in one foul swoop for the film. So he uh, he wasn't like because the, the crazy thing about it is on the surface, a movie like Planet of the Apes doesn't sound like something the prestigious Charlton Heston would would do. But he read the script and fell in love with it, you know, and rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's such a well written script. It's such a well acted movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, the great the late great Roddy McDowell uh, yeah. was in he he was an already well-established stage actor at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in several, uh, he was in several movies. He was in several British television shows as British television uh, uh, made for, t- I think he was in several uh, British made for TV movies at this point as well. Uh, but he was just a really popular actor and, and a really talented actor, I should say in his own right by this time. And the combination of him, uh, that sort of that very calm, soft-spoken, sophisticated British man coupled with this gruff American uh, Charlton Heston made for a really interesting combination. And uh, this film does not waste your time getting started either. Like mm-hmm. that, like one of the most, like one of the most jarring scenes I remember as a kid was, um, Oh God, her name escapes me, but it's the female crew member that was mummified because of the oxygen, the oxygen leak. Stuart. Stuart. There yeah. we go. Thank you. Uh, it was Stuart. I remember that image. I remember that being a really jarring image for me as a kid. Oh, because that scared this, me. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, for real. And then you've got all these, these monk, they've got all these apes just rounding men, rounding humans up. And uh, I have so many fond memories of this movie because this movie, it was shown to me by my dad. And like I was saying before, before I got sidetracked, um, my dad was a huge Charlton Heston fan. You know, he loved the 10 commandments, Ben Hur, all those films, all those classic movies. And then he showed me Planet of the apes and I fell in love. I fell in love because at that time I had already seen Godzilla and I had already seen power Rangers and I was already kind of interested in this science fiction, uh, otherworldly, uh, over the top, uh, over the top science fiction kind of, uh, the, this stuff, this genre. And so Planet of the Apes was just another thing that I could add on to the pile. And over the years, I have grown to really, really just kind of love this movie for what it is because, and I, and as an adult, as I watched this movie a few days ago for this podcast, there is so much interesting commentary too to be had in this movie that as a child watching this movie, I would have not have picked up on that. But now going back as an adult, I'm like, wow, there's a lot like this movie's not all that heavy handed, but there are, there are moments where it's like, wow. Okay. 
Okay. Mm. I see what, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of iconic scenes like the, the statue of Liberty scene, of course, is one that people automatically come to. Uh, I think this is probably one of the most quoted films of all time. Uh, it's probably not the most quoted film of all time, but it's one of the most quoted film of all time, uh, with take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Um, that is such a iconic line in cinema. That's that's um, right up there with, we're going to need a bigger boat. That's one of those lines. Need a, yeah. You know? It's one of those lines. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's kind of dive into a little bit deeper, Danny. What is, uh, what's, what are some things that you really love about this movie? Oh man, uh, I'm at the rain myself in here. I'll I'll pick out a couple of key things to me that e- even now when I watch it still still wow me. Um, right. Number one, and these are no particular order, but number one has to be the makeup. Um, oh yeah. I mean, need I say more? Uh, the the makeup is still to this day so hauntingly effective that I can watch like you throw one of those movies in and there's never been a moment where I've watched any of the original five films or the TV spinoff and thought to myself, that is not an ape. You know, I like I've never watched it and thought that's a person in makeup. I believe it completely. And especially considering that when you hold up like some of those, those masks to real apes, they don't quite look like the same, you know, the faces don't look exactly the same. They're almost like hybrids, a little, a little bit more human. And some of that was intentional. Like the, the chimpanzees, for example, were designed to look more human to make them more sympathetic because they're easily the most sympathetic uh, group of apes in the film. Um, so there's th- there's reasons for it. But to this day, I, I watch those films. I look at them and I watch the body language. I watch I look at the, the fact that they painted their nails, you know, yeah. the fact that the hair went all the way up their arms. Uh, the fact that they gave them the special shoes with the splayed toes, um, little things like that, you know, yeah, just great things like that, that work in the way that some of them walk just with a little bit of a hunch. You know, I believe that what I'm looking at is an ape all these years later, uh, mm-hmm. whenever I watch the film, I never think that's a performance. That's an actor. That's a, per- a person actor. I look at it and I think, my God, that's like, there's, that's an ape. That's not human, but it's talking like a, and it, it still works. That's the most amazing thing. The makeup was incredibly groundbreaking for the time. Um, John Chambers did the makeup and he, uh, most people would probably know him best for his TV work. Like he did the, the some of the Munsters prosthetics. Um, he worked. Oh, that's right. He did, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, he <laughs> made, uh, he made prosthetic body parts for some Star Trek episodes. He did the, I want to say the very first version of Spock's ears for the pilot. Okay. Um, he did, I don't know if he did any twilight zone, but he definitely did some of the aliens from outer limits. And, uh, he also worked on lost in space, which is my favorite sixties sci-fi TV show. I love lost in space. So he's amazing. He won an honorary Oscar for his work on planet of the Apes, So I got to call up the makeup still beautiful all these years later. And then I also have to talk about the music. Um, Jerry Goldsmith, if you're at all, anybody out there is real like, familiar with film scoring is like film scoring's great rebel. Mm-hmm. The man broke all the rules in the best ways possible. His score for planet of the apes is astonishing. It also uh, got an Oscar nod and deservedly. So this was a guy who would break all of the, the, the tempo rules. This guy would go in crazy directions, but the best thing about his ape score is the instrumentation. Uh, the Ram's horn that made that woo sound that everybody oh, knows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
uh, one of my favorite bits of instrumentation because he went into crazy directions. Like, hey, he had people banging on kettles and pans to make like this very primitive sound. But one of my favorites is there's a scene in the it's the scene where Taylor is running away um, in the city. And one of the apes, one of the gorillas catches him around the neck. And it has that really uncomfortable close up of him kind of struggling to breathe. And you hear kind of an ape sound like in the background. Yeah, Uh, that's not a person. That's a that's a Brazilian instrument called a kuka that makes that made a sound made a sound that sounded like ape vocalizations. And he used that in the film. So whenever you hear that sound in the movie, that's a that's an instrument. Um, so that's part of the soundtrack. That's not a sound effect. That's part of the soundtrack, like the, the score. It's amazing. Yeah. The one thing that stood out to me about this sound as I'm watching this movie and kind of getting immersed in it again after all these years later um, was how the score, it fits so well with the tone of the movie. Oh, it's perfect. And it's not like, it's not per se. I, I don't want to say it's per se music because it's it, it, to, to, to someone who's not, uh, who, who doesn't listen to a lot of film scores, it just sounds like a bunch of noise. It's, it's but, more like a soundscape than a yeah, musical. It's more like, yeah. it's, that's a, that, there we go. There's the word. There's a, there's a word I'm looking I was actually looking for It's more like a soundscape. You're right. Cause there's it, the, the music itself sets an atmosphere for this movie. It's very primal. It's, it, it's very at times otherworldly. And I think that's the point. It, it needs is to feel primal and, and, so, and somewhat otherworldly at the same time. Like there's no distinguishable, um, there's no distinguishable note or there's no distinguishable little piece in this movie that stands out amongst its, uh, amongst the others, because it all just kind of works so well in this beautiful soundscape to make, to make the score for this film. Yeah. Yeah. It's astonishing. There's really no theme for planet. There's like, no, there's not. It's one of the rare movies without an actual theme. Yeah. It kind of has a recurring, uh, some recurring, again, not really music, but sounds like the do, 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 that kind of sound where you'll hear it at the beginning. And then you'll hear it while they're walking through the desert, that kind of thing. Um, there's also some recurring low piano. That's very dynamic. The do, 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 that just, it's very, that follows Taylor running. It's one of those, those sound, those rare soundtracks that's so beautifully married to the visuals that um, it, it verges on what uh, a, a lot of film historians call Mickey mousing mm-hmm. where it feels like there's it's like, but it's not cartoony. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't like that, that saying very much. Cause I feel like if you have a good composer do something that's quote unquote Mickey mousing, where the visuals are so tied to the music that's being used. If you do it right, it makes the tension like so tight um one of the best examples is max steiner's king kong score um the scene where the the native chief walks walks towards them and every time his foot hits the step it goes do 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 like that's clearly a perfect marriage of like what's happening on the screen Mm -hmm. and what's happening in the music and that was new in 1933 that that was something that hadn't been done but this is another this is a whole new level and all of the eight scores are very very good and uh, Goldsmith did do the score for Escape from the Planet of the Apes as well. But it's very it, that one's a lot different because it's a contemporary story set in then present day uh, Los Angeles. Right. So it's it's very different. But the otherworldly kind of ethereal, primitive, the, it's a very ominous score. When I was watching it as a kid, the score made me convinced that something was going to pop out from behind a rock at any moment. 
Mm. Um, the care it was almost like a character in the movie, but it was more it was less of a character and more of an atmosphere. It was just part mm. of what made the film work so good. Well, it was you know it's one of the like one of the things I recall as far as like a sound effect or part of the score was that that initial sound and I think it was the ram's horn that the that they could that the the horn that signifies that the gorillas are coming. Yes. Um that was so unsettling to me. Oh, it still is. Oh, thinking I mean, that, about it. Yeah, it's really it, it really is. It's it's unsettling because it it does sound because it's got that walk. Yeah. That, yeah. It's got that walk sound or something like that. It it makes you think that there's going to be like this giant creature come from behind the woods. It's mm-hmm. it's very intimidating. It's very scary. Um and like one of my favorite things, one of my favorite, favorite things about this movie is the actual ape reveal. Like the actual, oh. like when you realize that this is a planet of apes, because the first apes we did, you know, the story follows uh, our protagonist, uh, Colonel Taylor, uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Um, Dr. Zira and Cornelius, who are chimpanzees, their husband and wife chimpanzees. But it's funny because the first uh, the first apes you see are the gorillas, the, yeah. the hunters, the hunters in the field, basically trying to exterminate all the humans, the pests that are eating that are eating their crops, you know. And it even says something like uh, when in a speech that Dr. Zayas gives uh, the orangutan, the orangutan, the, the, the our, our orangutan antagonist. Um, is he an antagonist or is he a protagonist? We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but he mentions that, uh, you know, they eat our crops. Man is a pest. It, it is a pest. And the sooner he is eradicated, the sooner he is eradicated, the better. Um, but it's interesting. The first, the first reveal that we actually see someone in ape makeup, um, it's, it's done really well. It's like you can kind of tell, and as they're coming through the field, and they're like, "Oh my God, like what in the world is coming at them?" Uh, and then, and then our uh, Colonel Taylor, our Charlton Heston character, sees one on top of a horse riding a horse for the full for the first time, and you feel that emotion from him, like, "Oh my God, like what, like where have I landed? Like where, where am I? What the um, heck is going on?" Right. And that, and that, and that chase scene where they're, where they're all being hunted is intense. It is the most intense. I think it's probably one of the most intense five minutes in cinematic history. Uh, and I don't know how to describe the feeling you get when, when it, when it cuts finally to the camp where they're rounding up all the humans and you, and you see off in the distance humans hung upside down like cattle or like deer, I should say. Uh, similar to what, if you're, if anyone out there is a hunter and you, and you string a deer up for skinning, you know what I'm talking about. That is, that is so, that's so much unsettling imagery in, in just that, in that first like 15 minutes of the it's, film. It's sick. It's sickening in a way, but you can't look away from it. It's not grotesque. It's not, um, you know, gory. It's not anything, but it's just seeing people treated like, you know, deer being hung up and but at the same time but you look at the way they're dressed and you look how dirty they are and it almost feels natural that they should be hunted in this environment mm-hmm. and then that makes you feel gross and it's oh it just works so well yeah i was like you you start i don't know i don't know i don't know if i want to get into it or not but like some of the social com- you could probably draw like so much social commentary uh oh, yes from from that like so much social commentary there's uh, a there's a lot and uh, that's a whole can of worms we that I we shouldn't like dive too deep into because we'll be here forever but 
it was one of those films where they the, the people making it were making a very political socially uh aware film for the t- remember this is 1968 we're coming off of assassinations we're in the middle of vietnam we're mm-hmm. in the middle of just grotesque race riots yeah. uh we're in the middle of so much 1968 was really kind of a boiling point for a lot of that stuff yeah. um and the movie the, the from what i understand the you know the, the studio didn't really want to make a political kind of a movie they wanted to make an escapist film but the people mm-hmm. making the movie saw it as an opportunity to say something in a metaphorical allegorical way in a, and actually uh, this is going to sound kind of crazy at first, but this is, I think it makes sense. I have actually put this film in a kind of a similar class as Godzilla, the original in how, okay. in how it deals and how it takes a real or in planet of the apes case, uh, many, many real issues from the time and reflects them back at the audience on film as mm-hmm. allegory. Um, when you see like, there's a line in the planet of the apes where zero tells, uh, uh, not Cornelius. He's talking, talking to Taylor. Um, and I quote, all men look alike to most apes. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I caught that too. That is, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, do I need to go any farther? That's like, that's, there's, there's something there. Um, when, when t- t- uh, Taylor is on trial, which is very McCarthy esque, by the way, um, very much so. Yes. Very much. So actually, uh, Michael Wilson, who wrote the movie was blacklisted in the fifties. So he, he had experience in courtrooms like that. He knew what it was like. And, you know, when, um, Honorius looks at Taylor and says, you know, what, if if you're so smart, if you're as smart as us, explain to us our religion and our culture, why are all apes created equal as decreed by the lawgiver? And, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but at this point, Taylor, who's been forbidden to speak by the way, stands up and says, some apes, it seems are more equal than others. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, and again, that's one of the more overt political things. Uh, very well, very more social, more like societal, I suppose, social than. Uh, I think so, but definitely, definitely political as well. The movie was trying to inject those things in a way, like using science fiction and escapism as a as a a vehicle to shed light on something that might have been a little too raw at the time to address fully in a way that was entertaining, which is what Godzilla yeah. did. So yeah. I think the films, the two films have uh, two different mi- missions, you know, two different eras, two different topics, two different cultures. But uh, the way they went about it, I think, is comparable. Yeah. After watching the original for the first time uh, a few days, de- like a week ago, I started going back through the franchise, the original, the original run of the, the original five movies. And I'm going to say that as heavy handed in some way, in, in, in a lot of in, in the ways that this movie is heavy handed, I feel like the following film beneath the planet of the apes is so much more heavy handed. Oh yeah. So much more commentary on uh, the Vietnam war and some other things that were going on in society than even this one. It's a, there's a lot more going on. I mean, in beneath there's a scene where Zeus and Ursus break up a, uh, a peaceful protest. Uh, That's very Vietnam. Uh, All of the, all of the, the thing about the original planet of the apes is that a lot of the more disturbing aspects of it, not even just the political stuff, but just the more disturbing aspects are left there. They're left. They're implied instead of shown when you see the very end of the film and you realize where you've been, 
your mind races back through all of the desolate landscapes you've seen throughout the film and all of the rocks that look like they've melted and all of the deserts and the barrenness of it. And you think, oh my gosh, we've, this was New York. Like this was America. What happened? And then in the second film, all of that kind of suggestion and implicity is gone. And it's like, bam, here's New York buried. You know, here's the, here's all of the skyscrapers. Here's the library. Here's the church. It's all, here's the buried subway station. And don't get me wrong. I love that stuff. Uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes has what is easily my favorite post-apocalyptic or like post-nuclear war aesthetic of any film ever made. I love it. Uh, But it's not subtle. It loses the subtle touch. Um, And the the other sequels did as well. Oh, it's very much. Yeah, it it loses. It loses so much. It kind of takes... um... Uh, to steal a line, I think I'm not, I'm paraphrasing here, but to steal a line from beneath the planet of the apes, like it sort of reveals itself as the, it sort of reveals itself Mm -hmm. uh, to the message that it wants to, that it wants to convey to the audience. Whereas the original film is a little bit more subtle in a lot of ways. Uh, The courtroom scene is a, as a standout scene because it gives us that it, it, it not only gives us, that fantastic son of that social commentary. It gives us those great, it gives us those great iconic lines, but it gives us that one scene that um, has, has been gift a lot. The, the, the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil (laughs) uh, as the, as the orangutans um, are not wanting to hear what uh, Colonel Taylor has to say, basically. Yeah. Uh, Because they can't believe it because, you know, um, Colonel Taylor, the arrival of Taylor would throw there and 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 i think um even uh dr zayas says this like you're you being here throws the entire has the potential to throw our entire society and our entire way of life into chaos yeah because because not only uh uh dr zayas is the i think the 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 minister of science but he's also the keeper of the faith so which is an interesting combination. And this is one thing that I was talking about with a, with a friend of mine or with a friend of ours, rather Mm. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on at once here. Like you've got Dr. Zayas, who is uh, the keeper of the faith and the minister of science. And so he's trying to, you know, he's trying to, um, Oh, what's, what am I thinking about? What am I trying to say here? He's trying to explain science through their faith, right? Am I, am I correct? Yeah. And uh, vice, and really kind of vice versa. I think it kind of goes versa. both ways. He's he even says in the film that there's no distinction between faith and science. You know, like he's, <laughs> he's um he thinks that they're one in this, like, at least he says, who doesn't know if we don't know if he actually knows this. Cause Zayas is nothing if not a character who knows more than he is saying, but uh, oh, exactly, but exactly. He, and my favorite scene, my favorite scene in the movie, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is that com- is that one-on-one conversation between Dr. Zayas and Colonel Taylor. That conversation where Dr. Zayas basically without coming out and saying it acknowledges that, you know, Colonel Taylor is right, that Colonel Taylor is from the earth's past and that ape maybe was not made in God's image. Uh, that maybe man came first and that it, spoiler, it gets later revealed that man did come first. Did man did come before ape, but uh, Doctor Zayas, you know, makes a de- tries to make a deal with Taylor and says, "Hey, if you tell me where your tribe is at, if you tell me where you came from, and you agree, 
not to re- not to reveal this conversation or what we've talked about to anybody, I will let you go. I will spare your life because I have to protect not only uh, I have to protect not only our culture, but our but what we know is scientific fact at that point as well. And it's interesting because you have that you have that character with Doctor Zayas. You have uh, the very strict. You've had the kind of the interesting dynamic between uh, uh, Zira and her husband Cornelius, where Cornelius is a scientific mind, but he also believes. He's also a believer in their faith, but Doctor Zira is very much just strictly science, 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 like no, no religion because she's constantly throughout the film questioning religion, questioning their faith throughout the entire film. And she, uh, her and Cornelius, you know, they grow to, they grow to see what actually is happening and it does break their faith a little bit. Whereas, they, they, it basically turns what they believed at that point upside down with the arrival of doc with, with, uh, with the arrival of Colonel Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the, the, one of the biggest themes of the movie is the conflict between faith and science and are they reconcilable and how much of each of them is a true in general and mm-hmm. b true in as much as people say it's true and tell you that it's true. And you just kind of have to believe them. It's, it's, somebody telling you to have faith as opposed to you just having the faith and believing in the thing. And the, the real message that the film tries to convey, I think is that, uh, you know, if you're, it's so easy to exploit either of those things to exploit people's wanting to believe in hard scientific fact and history. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea that history can be rewritten by the people who write the history books And which is what Zayas is based on. He literally scribbles words out in this film that Taylor writes. So he is editing history and then using faith to kind of mask that. um, But also keeping the ape, because the thing about the ape society that is another big standout thing to me is the fact that even after all these years, the film, if you, uh, if if you read like the, the extended universe stuff is confirmed to take place, I believe in the year 3978. And if you think about it, that's 2000, you know, 2000 plus years where the apes have ruled, but they still live very primitively there. Uh, if you look at the the blood transfusion that Taylor gets, it's very primitively done. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, don't, they ride on horses, they have guns, they have cameras, but they don't have cars, which is a difference from the book, because in the book, they live in skyscrapers and watch TV and have cars and have a space program. Uh, but they couldn't do that for the budget. But it, it really ended up helping because it p- paints the picture of a society that is being held back by trying to keep the past from coming to light. So instead of moving forward and maybe learning from the past, the people or apes in charge have basically stunted and stilted the society. The scariest line in the movie to me, and this is one of those things that kind of shows you how deeply I I sometimes get stuck thinking about these things. It's a line that creeped me out as a kid. Uh, Right at the end of the film, when Zayas has let Taylor go and he gives the order to seal up the cave. Um, uh, Lucius, who's Zayas, uh, not Zayas, uh, Zira's um, nephew, nephew. Uh, basically after the two of them have been kind of held, they're like, you two are going to still stand trial for heresy even after all this, even after the truth has been shown. Uh, Lucius walks up to Zayas and says, why must knowledge stand still? 
chills. That that line gets me every time. The music helps too in that scene. But the line, right. "Our society is standing still for the sake of you keeping this secret, because you're afraid of what it could lead to in the future." Which it turns out Zayas is kind of right because of what happens in the second movie. But um, it's it's so crazy to think about like that line, that idea of somebody with power holding a society hostage, an entire society of of sentient beings hostage uh with with lies and and you know hiding the truth and conflating faith and science and taking advantage of people's faith uh is is horrific that's a horrific notion to me like that that's freaky and uh i i just love that the film tackles that in such an intelligent way it does and i I think you know among all the standout moments in this film like one of those now that we're talking about that the core the archaeological dig scene uh, where if you've not watched the film, uh, Cornel- uh, Dr. Zayas goes with, uh, I'm sorry, tracks down Cornelius uh, and, Do- and Dr. Zira and Lucius and uh, Nova, who is uh, uh, Colonel Taylor's human companion, uh, arguably the most beautiful human on the planet at that point. <laughs> Definitely a contender. but uh they track them down to this archaeological dig because cornelius wants to prove wants to prove uh, what he found was real and there was that moment towards the end of the film where dr zayas is looking at the doll and and taylor asks a very point asks a very pointed question he says why would a why would an, if apes came first, why would an ape make a human doll that talks? That talks. I love that line. <laughs> like why? Like why? And, and Dr. Zayas did not have an answer. And you, and you think for a, you think for a moment. Now I've seen this movie before, so I know what happens, but you think for, a, you, you would probably think for a moment that Dr. Zayas would have a humbling come sort of like a come to Jesus moment, so to speak, where he would realize that maybe man came first and man and ape evolved from man or, or ape later evolved after man wiped itself after man wiped themselves out. Um, so you would think that would happen, but given the fact that, uh, Dr. Zayas is such a hard nosed, uh, religious, I don't know if he's a, I don't know if I would call him a religious zealot, would zealot be the appropriate word to use for Dr. Zayas? I mean, it, it could be. I mean, uh, he's definitely d- devoted, but in a way that, like I said before, doesn't really benefit anybody but himself. I'm I, wondering, because I, I sat there wondering through the whole film if if even if it could even be uh, reasonable to say that Dr. Zayas doesn't even believe the things that he's that he's telling people, that he's just... He's just repeating things that have been handed down generation by generation just to keep some semblance of order in society. And that to me is is closer because it is implied and it's since been uh, confirmed in other books and things like that, that Zaius knew exactly what happened to the planet. He knew that apes used to be, um, you know, pr- primitive, unintelligent creatures uh, or at least not up to the standards of man's intelligence. And then man, man killed himself and uh, essentially turned the planet into the forbidden zone. Um, and the apes then rose up after that. And it's been his duty and the duty of all of those who have ruled before him 
to suppress that past. So he knows, you know, when he see when he hears the doll talk, he's not surprised. He he just really wishes nobody had heard it, you know. Right. Uh, now I have to explain it, but then there's a distraction outside because a gun goes off and he never gets to have his little come to Jesus moment. And then of course Taylor backs him into it when he literally ties him up and is like guardian of the terrible secret, huh, doctor? You know, and uh, Zayas pretty much comes out in that moment and says, I have always known about man. And uh, he knows, like he knows, and he is intentionally keeping it. And he admits it in that moment, not in so many words, but he admits it. And then at the end, when Taylor leaves, he buries it again, literally buries it. Right. And there's that foreboding line from Dr. Zayas. It says, go Taylor. You may not, but you may not like what you find. Yeah. The truth, the truth is out there, Scully. Uh, the, uh, it's out there and you, you might run into it. Maybe, maybe Zayas knew that the statue was over there and that he would see it. Who knows? Uh, who knows? Who knows? It seems unlikely that he wouldn't have at least known some of that area, considering that apes had already been there and excavated it a year before the movie's events. So it's who knows. Zayas ends up taking whatever truths and secrets he knows uh, with him through the film without revealing them. And then as revealed in the second film, he takes them to his grave. I, um, there's a great scene in Mad Men. If anyone out there has ever watched Mad Men, there's a great scene in Mad Men where uh, Don uh, skips work and he takes his son Bobby to the movies. And the movie that they're watching is Planet of the Apes. And specifically, they get to the part of the movie where it is revealed that Colonel Taylor has been on Earth this whole time. And it's the scene, it's the iconic scene with the Statue of Liberty and, you know, the pounding on the pounding in the sands like you did it, you did it, you animals, Uh, you know, damn you. I won't finish the line because it's not uh, super family friendly, but um, PG, Michael, (laughs) PG, you got to keep it PG. But there's that iconic line at the end of the film where it's, you know, revealed that, you know, Colonel Taylor's been on Earth this whole time. He's just. 2000 years in the food in the future. And I say that because in that scene between Don Draper and his son, Bobby, you know, the entire theater is speechless. The entire theater is speechless. There is no clapping. There is no smiling. There is no laughing. There's nothing. Everyone is speechless. And I'm trying to think, and I was trying to think to myself, like if I was living in 1968 and I had never seen a movie like this before, what would I personally have thought? when watching this movie for the first time. I think that I would be speechless. Yeah. I, uh, most people, most people were, I was when I saw it unsullied by spoilers. And, uh, despite the VHS covers, best, uh, best (laughs) offense against my non-spoiler, non-spoilerly desires. I did, um, see the film, not knowing what would happen at the end. And uh, I had no idea. It made sense that he was on Earth, but my kid brain never rationalized it because the more you think about it, it's like, well, they're talking, they're speaking English. What are the odds of there being apes and humans on another planet? You don't think about that while you're watching the movie. You're so completely into it. But then at the end, it all kind of makes sense. But um, it's like in the in the third film, uh, Escape From, uh, where 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 Cornelius and Zira are in the the courtroom being uh, being interviewed by the presidential council or whatever they called it. I can't remember, but 
the presidential inquiry or whatever. And they yeah. said, how did you learn to speak English? What is English? Like, <laughs> like what is English? I speak the language of my father and my grandfather and the, and the father before him. I yeah. speak, I just speak my language. I just speak my language. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so good. The seat, it's very good. It's very good. But you know, we spent a lot of, we spent a lot of time on, uh, we spent an odd, an odd amount of time, more time than I actually thought we would on, on Dr. Zayas. So, um, Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter are other two ape protagonists, uh, in the film, uh, Cornelius and Dr. Zira is, is it Dr. Cornelius? I can't remember if it's Dr. Yes. Is it, doctor it, of, uh, doctor of archeology. span That's right. Doctor of archeology. span Yes. Dr. Zira and Dr. Cornelius. Um, what are some standout moments for those two characters for you, Danny? Man. Um, well, I gotta, I gotta give it up for their, their little, their cute little kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's not they, like a long, it's not like a long, passionate kiss. Like we're used to seeing with humans. It's like, yeah, a couple like of a, like tap, tap, tap. Don't, don't squish my appliances kind of kiss. Um, <laughs> which is yeah. funny because they, they, um, Kim Hunter said in an interview, uh, once that they had to, it's the weirdest, like the weirdest kiss she'd ever done because they had to kiss each other without kissing each other. They couldn't feel anything. They had, mm -hmm. they had this air between them that was a like ape muzzle shaped and they had to look like they were kissing, not touch each other's mouths with each <laughs> and then not destroy their makeup. So it's a, but it's a cute moment and it's handled uh, well from a, an effects standpoint. It's just a cute moment. They're such a cute couple. Like just them together is great. Uh, Zira is one of the, uh, she's such an under, like an unsung heroine in films. She's, she, she doesn't mess around. She is the, she has the biggest, head out of any of them but in a good way she's got the biggest brain out of any of them she doesn't put up with nonsense uh she knows what she believes she's on a quest for the truth and even when cornelius kind of questions some of the, her what she's saying she stands by it um so for me i think gosh it's so hard to pick like a because she, she has so many great lines in the film because kim hunter's so funny uh for her i'd say I mean, it's, it's got to go to the other kiss at the end of the movie, but right before oh yeah, she, right before like, Chuck Heston kisses her, she says, all right, but you're so damned ugly. <laughs> and I, just I mean, it's, I mean, if you think about it, like it's, it, it was definitely a big deal for the sixties to have an interracial kiss, mm -hmm. let alone an interspecies kiss. Yep. Yeah, I mean it, that is that's a big deal. Like I'm yeah. wondering, like I'm wondering what the what the press, like sort of the the press surrounding all of like if that if if that would be done today. Well, if it would be done today, it would have been it honestly wouldn't be a big deal. No. But putting myself in the mind frame of somebody back in the '60s and seeing that, I'm like, would people have been weirded out by it, or would it be would it have been endearing to them? I'm wondering. I'm I'm just kind of speculating. I don't know, I don't know but um. It is it is an un, it is an unusual bit, but I think it's kind of sweet because it wasn't a romantic kiss. It was no, it was a, it was an I'm probably never going to see you again. And there's so many things I want to tell you about how grateful I am for what you did. You saved my life, and mm. uh, I just can't say it all. So I'm going to give you a kiss, and I hope that works for you. Like I hope that's enough. And, and you know, it's it's funny because when when Taylor asks that, um, <laughs> that little moment where she turns to Cornelius yeah. and. Cor she turns to Cornelius like, should I, or can I, or something like that? And, and Cornelius is like, 
he gives that. Yeah, he kind of hisses a little bit. He's, he hisses a little bit. He's like, he hisses with disapproval. But, you know, Zira being Zira, she's going to do what she wants to do anyway. She's going to do it. And he knows that. He doesn't say anything. And even Nova looks a little weirded out by it. So it's funny that the camera panned over to focus on those two having a reaction. But just, I don't know. It's hard to pick a, a, a Zira moment. I, um, I like how she talks like around the gorillas because she's, she's so short with them because they're, they're so mistreatful of the humans. Uh, there's a funny little beat where when they're bringing Nova to, to Taylor for the first time in the cage, they swing the cage door open and the door hits Zira and she kind of like reacts to it. Like she's surprised and then kind of pushes it back a little bit. I think that might've been a mistake, like an onset mistake, but she acted in character. Like she was teed off that the gorillas had just kind of swung the door open on her. It all mm-hmm. kind of, it all kind of worked. She, she gave such a performance, but um, God for Cornelius, it's uh, again, it's a lot of little, little moments. I love. Okay. First of all, Roddy McDowell, we talked about him already. Legend, 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 right? Great guy. Amazing actor. Um, the man whose association with a planet of the apes would be stronger than any other actor as he appeared in four of them mm-hmm. and would likely have appeared in the Tim Burton film. Had he not passed away in 1998 before it was, yeah, he was, he was set to do, uh, he was set to do a cameo. Wasn't he? he I believe away. so. Some of the, some of the actors were, uh, Charlton Heston's in the film, uh, briefly, uh, Linda Harrison's in there somewhere. I don't know if Kim Hunter is, but I believe Roddy was lined up to do it. Cause remember the apes remake went through a decade plus of development hell, uh, where it was James Cameron was going to do it at one point. Uh, it just, it's, that's a whole can of worms, but yeah, Corn- it's a mess. Cor- yeah. Cornelius in the first film is, uh, to me, I, I, I love how expressive he is because I think Roddy had the best control over his appliances. He could make the, the, no- the nostrils snort. He could, <laughs> Um, he, he did this thing with his nose where he scrunched his nose and it made the entire, his entire face kind of, uh, squint. I'm doing it right now. This makes for great radio, but I'm literally right, doing it right, right. I'm acting right. I know what, you, know what you're talking about. Cause I'm doing it too. I know I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm, I can't help it. I can't help it. I got to do it. But, um, I love how kind of incredulous he is. And almost like when, like the scene where with the paper airplane, mm-hmm. uh, for, for instance, is, is hilarious my probably my favorite like just bit with him is in that scene where uh charlton heston asks do you have maps he writes down do you have maps and zero grabs him a map and he uses his fingers to shove at how he got to ape city and the look on cornelius's face where he just kind of like he, he almost does he just kind of rolls his eyes his mouth kind of gapes open and he just kind of the only thing missing is like a yeah, sure you did, buddy. You know, just yeah. he just looks so exasperated. It's like, you know, I would have bought that you were from the future, but now that you're telling me how you went through the Forbidden Zone, now I don't buy it. You know, just it's just so funny. Um, he's great. He's he like I said, he had the best control over the emotions he was able to display in that makeup. And so watching his face in this film is super fascinating for me because he's the one I believe the most. So Man, it's it's hard to pick like any more specific than that. What are your some of your favorites? Uh, you know, it's that the map scene. Yeah, because <laughs> I agree, I mean I agree because I think that Roddy had the best control over his prosthetics. Yeah, I think so because his his prosthetics looked. Although the makeup was probably the same, you know, it was done by the same person. It was you know done by the same production crew. It was applied the same, whatever. Mm-hmm. It just feels like Roddy. As far it just feels like. Cornelius was a more realistic, believable character than, I mean, although Zero was great, Zero's 
like the Kim Hunter did a fantastic job with oh, Zira. Yeah. Um, Dr. Zayas, fantastic job. Uh, that character is that, that makeup is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cornelius, the, the overall effect itself. And, uh, and I would technically, you know, this, this movie doesn't get praised enough in my opinion for its practical effects. Um, in a world, in, in a world, in a world where we're in so inundated, inundated with like CGI and all that and all that. Like I appreciate a movie that can, that can use makeup effectively well, that can use makeup effectively. Yeah. And this is one of those movies, like, uh, like we've talked about, does stand the test of time for the simple fact that, you know, it, it uses its effects so well and so believably. So, uh, like you, it does feel like you're in another world. And like we talked about it earlier, uh, they, they, their attention to detail with the apes was great. They could have easily just put boots on them and said, okay, there we go. They're wearing boots, mm-hmm. but they went as far as to kind of notch out their toes to make it look like ape feet wearing yeah. shoes. Uh, that's great. That's fantastic. They painted their nails, all that good stuff. But you know, just the, just the, the, hum- the unintentional humor of Roddy McDowell, um, there are some, there are some really quippy kind of funny lines mm-hmm. in the movie. I don't think were intended to be funny or maybe they were, but Roddy's delivery of those lines was just so fantastic. Like the, the conversation between him and Taylor, uh, when Taylor is, when it's at the moment where Taylor can't quite speak yet, he's, he's still, he's still wounded from yeah. him, from the gunshot and he can't quite speak yet. So he's, he's writing everything down and he's, and he just kind of, he gives this dry, he's having this conversation with Taylor. And he's like, well, that's preposterous. It's, it's totally preposterous. Yes. Like that's the forbidden, that's the forbidden zone. No one goes the forbid to the forbidden zone. Um, and in, the interactions between him, I, I feel like him and Kim Hunter are probably the be- the two best people that could have played those roles because their on screen chem- their on screen chemistry was so great. It's so great so good. Film. It's so good, and it's um, it makes watching the third one because Roddy wasn't in Beneath. Uh, they got um, someone else who sounded a lot like him to play the role, uh, and he did a very good job. But seeing them again in Escape is great because it really builds on the relationship. They're just such a genuine sweet couple. You really feel like they're they're people. Like they're married people, like you, like somebody that you'd want to live next door to, except they're 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 chimps, you know. Uh, it's it's so great because they don't play them like you know they play them like a married couple, you know, like people who've known each other for years. <laughs> this is not this is not part of uh, this is not part of the original movie, but uh, I when I watched um, when I watched Escape from mm. uh, it's in the, it's in the courtroom scene where they're being sequestered by the United States government and the. And he says, and and one of the guys behind the the chair says, does the male talk? And he stands up and says, only when she lets me. And it's just such a charming, uh, it's just a a charming little moment. Um, The entire room claps. Like they're like, oh, these are people, you know, like that's when everybody kind of gets it. Yeah. In that moment. That's when everyone, like everyone's kind of, uh, that's when like, you're right. Everyone gets it. They're, they're actual, like they're not people, but they're just like, but they're, but they're just like, they might as well have, they might as well be people. They might as well be people, you know, they're very expressive. They're, they, you know, they're just like us. So, um, I don't know what else to say about this movie, except that it's fantastic. I mean, I don't have any (laughs) negative. I honestly don't have really, I know we try to do the whole positivity sandwich and all that stuff for, for these movies. Um, I got nothing, man. I got, I I don't, I don't have anything. I don't really have anything at all. So Danny, I'm going to let you, uh, 
take us take us into some fun facts um, before we kind of wrap this discussion up. All right, let's see. Something come up with some. There's, I mean, there's so much. There's so much that could be talked about in relation to this film and how crazy it is. Uh, it just all the interesting stuff that happened behind the scenes to let it work. Um, one of the best fun facts that I love is the fact that uh, behind the scenes of the film while they were shooting it, uh, at no, based on literally nothing, apropos of nothing, no direction, no labeling, no nothing. Once in makeup, all of the actors playing gorillas would take their lunch breaks and sit together all of the yeah. orangutans would sit together and all the chimps would sit together and all the humans would sit together and uh the, the years later people the, the actors would be interviewed and they're like i don't know why we did that it just felt like you know i didn't you know i didn't <laughs> I, sh- I should just go eat with my kind you know which is so crazy considering that that kind of segregation is a, a plot line in the film mm-hmm. you know the idea is that the idea that each kind of creature has its own place the orangutans are the religious and scientific and governmental leaders. The chimpanzees are the scientists. And then the gorillas hunt things and, you know, wash things. You know, they're, they're the laborers of the, of the, the society. They all work together, but they all don't really like each other. Uh, and especially in the second film, Zira has some very scathing things to say about ape species that are not chimps, uh, which again is also social commentary. But the fact that behind the scenes, they, they kind of almost embraced that, not because they chose to, but because all of the orangutans just wanted to eat with each other. You know, it's um, it's funny. Uh, let's see more fun facts. The, I mean, this film, this film, one of the reasons why I wanted to include it, it was an excuse. I, I get it. It was yeah, an excuse yeah. to include <laughs> it on this movie or to include it on this podcast. But it's sort of Godzilla adjacent. Kind of. If you if you squint and really turn your head sideways, bro, I mean, it's a this is this is a left fielder for sure. But uh, I mean, any excuse to talk about Planet of the Apes, right? Any excuse. Right, it's it. kind of Godzilla adjacent, and, the, and what I mean by that is, if anyone has ever seen uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from '74, you've you seen there. one of the props from. Well, at least you've probably seen one of the masks from this movie. Uh, probably they probably grabbed that mask from a costume shop, and there you go. And it looks it looks eerily like the one of the prosthetics from this film. Uh, so that's the reason why it's on this podcast. If you're wondering, <laughs> there you go. There's the justification. I mean, if there's the justification, yeah. And it's so and funny. it's technically Tokusatsu. So there you go too. That's there two you guys. go, man. That's funny. Uh, there's a fun fact: Planet of the Apes is a kaiju movie. <laughs> By uh, 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 no. Well, would it be kaiju or is it kaijin? Is it kaijin? I, it's neither, man. This is this. this, this, this I got no. I don't know. Either, <laughs> whatever I say is just. It's just going to be nonsense anyway. It's a uh, honestly. This was this by all the intents and purposes of this podcast. This this movie should not be on the show. Nope. But <laughs> I love it so much, and I just needed an excuse to add it to. I, I've always I, like back when Travis and I decided we were going to add a um, a left of center choice about every month or every other month. I immediately said, you know what? I want to do Planet of the Apes as one of our left of center choices. And here we are. You got to do it, man. I mean, you, you, you saw it through. Oh, man. Fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. Ooh, I got one. I mean, there's a lot, but um, I'll rattle off a couple of quick ones. The, uh, the Statue of Liberty at the end of the film, a few years ago, uh, 
there was a uh, the, the auction house profiles in history that do movie memorabilia auctions right. claimed to have gotten their hands on the a statue of liberty and it was huge it was like, t- like seven or eight feet tall this giant statue of liberty that was used in the film and they attempted to uh, they were going to put it in their auction it was actually on the cover of the auction brochure but I don't know how it got past their authenticators because this thing, if you've ever seen Planet of the Apes, like if you've ever even seen the cover of the of the DVD, you'd know that this Statue of Liberty has looks nothing like the one in the movie. And people started like saying, hey, this is obviously not the Statue of Liberty from Planet of the Apes. And, every, and they were like, no, it definitely is. What are you talking about? We authenticated it. Turns out it wasn't. It was from the terminal with with uh tom hanks but it's it's so ridiculous because anybody who knows anything about the production of planet of the apes knows that the statue wasn't built they built the the torch half scale they built mm-hmm. the her crown half scale and then they they, they like bungeed it to the top of a, sca- a a tower of scaffolding so that they could get the shot of taylor walking down the beach they put a cameraman up there and they shot just just those two parts. And then the rest of it was a matte painting that was put in yep. later. But yep. they somebody a few years ago did try to hawk a Statue of Liberty saying that it was from the movie, which is patently ridiculous. So that's a good fun fact. Um, one of my personal favorites is the has to do with the spaceship uh, that's at the beginning, which is also kind of an unsung, iconic 1960s uh you know, kind of early NASA era when all of the Apollo stuff was new and fresh, kind of a, a cool spaceship design, mm-hmm. um, which has actually a couple of different names depending on the source. Uh, official sources have called the ship the Liberty One. Uh, so the the little cone, it's just the top of whatever the rest of the spaceship was. It was just the nose right. section where the command module, but it's right. called the Liberty One, but fans for years, and this was actually used on official model kits and products called it the Icarus, which interesting makes, okay. which makes sense on one hand, because thematically it did fall, but what, what, like what space program would call their ship, the Icarus, and then put human beings in it. <laughs> <laughs> what someone's going like, to lose their job. <laughs> like that's, that's like, um, that's like, uh, that's like a cruise liner now in 2021 calling their ship, the Titanic. Yeah, like no one would do that. Like who who would do that? Like that's ridiculous. Like why like it's 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 insane. So the real name of the ship, I tend to call it Liberty One because that's the official name, but it's, it's still routinely known as the Icarus in fan circles. Icarus. After the the ship itself was made out of a mixture of plywood and I believe fiberglass. Mm-hmm. Um they made a full-sized one that they sunk in a lake uh, and they anchored it there and it was plywood so it floated. Uh mm-hmm. they got it where they wanted it. They put the guys inside, they jumped out. The uh, actual uh, sinking was done with a miniature in front of a matte painting, but the actual full-sized prop that they built uh, stayed at the Fox uh, back lot for years. It was used again, pretty much intact, except for some paint to make it look a little bit more burnt in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they they kind of strewed some um, gross blackened rubble behind it to look like more of the ship had crashed. Fun fact. Right. That blackened rubble was the landing gear from the full-size Jupiter 2 from uh, Lost in Space. That that was also a Fox oh, production. Okay. And they just cut it up and reused it. They liked reusing props back then. Uh, so, But well, that, yeah. yeah, that spaceship, 
uh, ended up having quite a long life because it was used again in the third movie. Uh, it was accidentally bashed against a rock when they were towing it into the shore. So they had to reshoot the scene and repair it. But if you look at the movie Escape, when they're towing it onto the beach, there's a dent in the nose cone because they messed up a take. Um, and after that, they just kind of let the prop languish for a few years on the back lot. They painted it up again and used it in the pilot episode of the Planet of the Apes TV show. Uh, in which it is blown up, but it's blown up off camera. So they didn't actually explode the prop. It sat on the back lot for years. Um, and then eventually I believe it was auctioned off and I don't think it's there now, but for a while it was actually, somebody bought it and they were using it as a, uh, a sign. Like they'd kind of put it up on its butt so that the nose cone was sticking straight up and they hung a sign off of it that was advertising a motel or something or a bar it just became they painted it to kind of look like an american flag but it was the it was the spaceship from planet of the apes and uh i don't know if it's still there i think it got scrapped a few years ago so i don't think it exists anymore but if it's still there then pilgrimage time um also one last one last fun fact the scenes of the uh that were not shot of this forbidden zone i'm talking like the beautiful hills and the greenery and actual the actual ape city itself the waterfall mm -hmm. the cornfield was all shot on property that was part of what was called the fox ranch which was owned by fox it was part of their back lot they shot a lot of movies back there they shot dr doolittle back there they shot all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff back there um but a few years after the film was shot many years after the film was shot the property was actually sold by fox and purchased by the state of california and is now Malibu Creek State Park, which means anybody can go there. The waterfall was, uh, it was kind of there, but they actually, it wasn't that intense. They put, uh, I want to say something like a dozen or so fire hoses back there to make it look like a, like a real waterfall. But right. once they removed those, it, it's just kind of like a stagnant pool now, but it's still there. All the rocks are still there. And if you're really in the mood for a hike, you can go all the way up the rocks, up the mountains to the site where, uh, they built Ape City and then abandoned it. And it's not it's not there anymore. But if you're lucky, you can still find chunks of the the buildings in the grass. Take it home as a souvenir. Interesting. Yeah, that's. Yeah, a, I mean, if I ever make it out west, that'll be on the bucket list. That's a sure. that's a uh, that is a bucket list uh, vacation spot for me for sure. Right. Because uh, for sure that'd be awesome. Well, I mean that that was more than I expected uh, <laughs> for a discussion on Planet of the Apes. So. Uh, I guess it's time to get into our Godzuki score. And for those of you are, uh, who are unfamiliar with our podcast, we like to rate our films and television shows out of five Godzukis. So, because we like to play homage to the bumbling nephew of Godzilla from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. So, Danny DeMana. Danny the Lawgiver DeMana. What score would you give planet of the apes from 1968? And if you want to include your final thoughts at the end of it, I have never read my lips, never thrown five whole Godzuki's at anything so fast in my life. <laughs> this is, this is, I get, I, when I was on with the, with um, Travis and we did black scorpion, I threw, I, I threw uh, 3.5 Godzuki's, which was uncomfortable for one of the Godzuki's uh, at that film. <laughs> And I thought that was, I, th I thought that was a fair, I thought that was fair, you know, but it was planet of the apes. Let's not kid ourselves. 
this is a ma- this is a masterpiece of world cinema. This is one of the best science fiction films ever made. It's easily um, not not to say not to you know throw shade at the other movies, all of which are great in their own way, but easily the best Planet of the Apes movie. Um, it is a triumph on every level. It is one of those Goldfinger movies where everything clicks and everything works and. All of the disparate elements, the music, the acting, the script, the directing, the story, the, the everything comes together to create a singular experience that, you know, all these years later, 50 plus years later, cannot be duplicated no matter how much CG you throw at it. And I, I love, by the way, I love the new trilogy for Rise, Dawn and War. They're all they're the best remakes I think I've ever seen of anything. Like they're so oh, hands good. They're hands so down. good. Um, and for what it's worth, I don't hate the Tim Burton version. Um, it's ridiculous, but uh, I, I don't hate it. But the original Planet of the Apes is the fiveiest of five stars. The fiveiest of five Godzukis. Fiveiest is not a word, but it's you get my point. This mo- this movie, hundred percent, five out of five, ten out of ten. You know, twenty five out of twenty. All of the Godzukis. Um, <laughs> I cannot say enough good things about it. It's just, it's just, it's just so darn good. I mean, what can I say? I can't do it justice. I also, I closing thought. I, I dearly hope that nobody who hasn't seen the movie has listened to all of this podcast. Because if you are a person that has not seen Planet of the Apes, you are and doesn't know that, like, didn't obviously didn't. If you've made it this far, then you now know the ending. If you didn't know it already, uh, you you should have watched it beforehand because the ending of this movie is easily one of the best endings of any film ever made. It is easily the most chilling ending I think I've ever seen to a film. It's and still there's no music, no there's music, no mu- just no the music, waves, just the waves crashing against the shore ominously. Um, that's the other thing about Jerry Goldsmith is that he knew where not to put music also in addition to where to put the music. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's just everything about it's just so good. So I, um, it, it is a masterpiece of world cinema. It is not a kaiju film, but I am uh, incredibly grateful to have had the chance to come on and uh, gush about this film and uh, it being one of the most important films in my life. I, uh, I just, I just love it so much. What, what can I say? I love it. I mean, I have to be inclined to agree with you. I think I'm going to I'm going to parrot something you said early on in the episode and say that if there is if there was to be a Mount Rushmore of of science fiction films. It have Planet of the Apes, it would be probably Planet of the Apes, the original Star Wars. Mm mm-hmm. Uh, the probably Spock because he's the most iconic character. Yeah. I would say he's probably the most recognizable character from the Star Trek, from Star Trek, or from science fiction in general. Really, he very well might be. Um, yeah. I'd say, who would you put up there for Planet of the Apes? Would you put Cornelius? Would I'd you put, put Cornelius. I think so. Yeah. Cornelius, so. Spock, uh, Darth Vader, maybe if you're going to do Star Vader. Wars. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. need a we need a fourth head. I'd say either 2001 or Blade Runner. Oh yeah, Blade Runner. Um, even, I mean, I don't know if it's uh, still on par with this film, but Logan's run is one oh, of those I, I love it. So I absolutely love, I love Logan's run. Logan's run there's is a, phenomenal. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Logan. There's a lot that reminds me of Logan's run, even in Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah. This, especially the, uh, post-apocalyptic, uh, setting when they're walking around the city and the bigness of it. And also kind of the, it's just a way that movies did like 
post-apocalyptic cities back then where it was all matte shots and miniatures and matte paintings and uh, very carefully put together sets. Uh, again, the, the apes films have my favorite post-apocalyptic look of any film ever, especially the way that like in the second one where it looks like the, the rock has melted, you know, like, like some kind of terrible heat melted it and it, it's, oh, it's so good, but um, it is. Oh, Logan, it, it absolutely is. Absolutely is. And you know, Planet of the Apes is one of those films. And I know we have a lot of films on this show, on this show, on this podcast that, you know, Travis and I both are nostalgic for. And so therefore nostalgia kind of clouds our judgment on some films. Mm -hmm. This one I am nostalgic for nostalgia does play a role in this movie for me, but it's just such a darn good movie. It is. It's such a darn good movie. And if you have not seen this movie before, you need to go and watch it because it is it is not only just a good movie, it's an important movie. It, it, yeah. it truly is an important movie. If you like movies, uh, watch this movie. If you like yeah. movies, watch this movie. If yeah. you care about film at all, yeah. go watch Planet of the Apes. Dare I and say like storytelling in general? Just Yes. Yeah. If you are a fan of the acting of any kind, go watch Planet of the Apes. If you are a fan of music of any kind in a film, go watch Planet of the Apes. Although I'm just going to say, go watch Planet of the Apes. It's fantastic. Just do and, it. for, <laughs> and for that, I'm going to give it five out of five Godzookies. So there we go. We did Planet of the Apes finally. And um, I don't have a, we don't have any mailbag this week, unfortunately. If we did, Travis didn't tell me. Uh, so if we do have mailbag, we will read it on the next episode when Travis comes back. Uh, but I do want to give a little preview of what we're going to be covering next week. Now it does uh, next week is the last week of our listeners choice month. And since we're not doing trivia questions this, uh, this month, because we've been holding, we've been, we've been conducting polls. And so everyone knows what we're covering. So I'm going to simply ask our listeners, what do you think of GAPA? Because that is going to be the next film that we cover on this podcast, GAPA, or as it is known in the United States, uh, what is it? The monster from the prehistoric planet. Yes. I think that's what it's called here in the United States. So yeah, next week we're going to be covering GAPA. If you have thoughts on GAPA, please let us know. And we will read uh, all those comments on the next episode. So Danny, man, thank you so much for stepping in last minute. And it was truly last minute, I feel like. And um, yeah, thank you so much for filling in. We, I really, really appreciate it. And I can think of no other person aside from my co-host himself to talk about Planet of the Apes with. Uh, so before we get out of here, before we you know, give our closing statement and roll credits, as a friend of ours likes to say, um, <laughs> go ahead and give your shameless plugs. Where can people find you? All right. Shameless plug time. Um, my work on the Godzilla novelization project uh, can be found at Godzilla Novelization Project.com, nice and easy. Um, if you would like to chat with me and see um, uh, silly things that I post, like funny pictures and um, pictures of my collection, updates on the project, uh, film anniversary celebrations, uh, random goofiness, or if you just want to chat with me and tell me what your favorite Godzilla movie is, or hey, what's your favorite Planet of the Apes movie? Let's broaden our horizons a bit. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going there. If, if Kaiju Weekly can do it, I can do it. So we're, let's, let's do it. Um, then, uh, yeah, I'm on Godzilla Novelization Project is on Twitter. If you want to hit me up there. Uh, oh my gosh, what's my Twitter handle? Danzilla93 <laughs> underscore GNP. I know what I'm talking about. Really, I do. What, why are you laughing? It's not funny. I, I promise. Know exactly. 
I promise. Don't put me on the spot like this, man. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got it. I figured it out eventually. So I guess I, I, I tentatively promise. Um, Godzilla novelization projects also on, uh, on Facebook. There's also a, a Gmail. If you want to email me there, the website has a, uh, contact page. If you want to shoot me emails, if you have questions, if you read the books and like them, email me and tell me you liked them. If you read the books and think I'm ruining your childhood, email me and be gentle, but tell me anyway, if you, um, like, yeah, if you just want to chat, shoot me an email. Uh, if you want to show me your art, shoot me an email. Like it's cool. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always up for talking Godzilla with anyone. Uh, the GNP is also on, uh, Patreon, Patreon money. Uh, I'm trying to get better about plugging my Patreon because I'm, I'm terrible at it, but Patreon money helps me to get research material from Japan to make the books better. Uh, it also allows me to take time off of my job to write these books and get them to you faster. Uh, it's also going into, eventually paying for merchandise that I know people like people are asking me where are the t-shirts and like I would love to make t-shirts and I'm getting close but I need more patreon like dough to be able to make that happen uh so sure. I'm getting I'm getting close on that um buttons stickers pins lanyards whatever like I'd love to do all that stuff um this is also this is something that hasn't been formally announced yet but I am also planning to add a uh weekly or perhaps bi-weekly um podcast to the list of patreon Ooh. perks yes so Ooh. yeah yeah so it will, it will it'll be something just for patrons it'll be it'll i'm calling it my monster musings because that's what my blog used to be they used to be monster musings so i love that name so basically again either weekly or bi-weekly not sure which quite yet uh, on a weekend i'll be posting a very simple unedited like not super crazy in terms of production little episode where I talk about the process, the process of the project behind the scenes stuff. Uh, some of my ideas for it, or I'll just pick like a kaiju topic and I'll, I'll talk about it in relation to the project. I'll give you updates on what I've done recently and how things are progressing uh, in audio form because sitting down and writing that stuff takes more time than me just kind of sitting down in front of a microphone and pretending that people are listening to me. So uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll be, I think it'll be fun. It's a new thing. And I'm hoping that that will um, be something that people will be interested in. But yeah, Godzilla Novelization Project on Patreon to help me get these things done faster. Uh, uh, what else can I plug? Oh, um, last year, my buddy and I, Robert Montserrat, who's a phenomenal artist, teamed up to translate and illustrate Shigeru Kayama's original Godzilla novelization from 1954. And if you go to projectkayama.com, you can read the original Godzilla novelization that Kayama wrote in 1954, fully translated into English for the first time, 100% free and accompanied by Robert's super awesome illustrations. So uh, that's there. Uh, I highly recommend that. That was a labor of love. We obviously didn't earn anything from it, nor would we have tried to. That's it's that's uh, that's C and D territory there. But we wanted to make it free and we wanted to make it something that people could enjoy. So that's been up since last November. Uh, and we have some other cool, fun collaborations that might be coming up in the realm of translating Godzilla things, but I will leave it mm. at that. Uh, yes. Um, that's about it. I mean, you can hear my my voice blabbering about monsters on other podcasts like Monster Island Film Vault. You can uh, hear me playing one of the lead characters in an episode of Godzilla Unmade from last year. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place these days. I'm doing a lot of stuff, uh, but it's so fun. It's so fun. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. uh, I, I owe it all to people who read what I do and enjoy it and listen to 
you know, other people's podcasts that I'm on and, and, you know, like what I say. And I just, I, I, the amount of support I get from people is just incredibly humbling. So if you're a reader, if you have enjoyed anything I've been a part of, just, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. And uh, it's been great having all these opportunities to come on and talk about stuff like, you know, the black scorpion and planet of the apes. I mean, you know, like that's just cool. I mean, it's, yeah. it's sure beats talking to myself in the mirror. Uh, that's, <laughs> Or I, or you could just be like me and talk to yourself in the shower. Cause I talk to my show. I talk to myself in the shower all the time. You ever talk to your toys? Cause I sure don't. That would be silly. Oh, I no. I, I mean, <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny uh, that when I, when I walk in at, when I walk into my office every morning, I say, good morning, fellas and ladies. That's right. Uh, because I do own some Mothra toys. That's um, right. <laughs> I, every, every time I walk into my collection room, I'm just like morning children. and i I do it because it's funny like it's i'm not a sad pathetic person trust me but uh, i mean you actually have a girlfriend so i do i do but uh sometimes the toy is the only one that understands you you know well that is that is true that is true at least i will say at least the toys from my from from my experience, at least they're good listeners. I will say that. That's true. No, I am I'm deeply blessed to have a girlfriend who listens to me and is wonderful. So uh, I I routine I try to make it a habit to talk to her more than the toys. Uh, <laughs> that's so terrible. No. I'm so no, sorry. she's she's great. She's, she's hilarious. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's great. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and 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 beat. I'm gonna go ahead and, and ask this before someone we know beats me to it. Um, if you ever want to have a guest on your Patreon, uh, podcast, you know, where to come to don't go to that other guy no. that shall remain nameless. No, I don't you even know. Come. I don't even know who we're talking about. What? No, we don't know. No. We don't know who we're talking there's, about. There's no. nothing like, why would I know that? That's just silly. Someone, <clears throat> someone, someone with a nondescript name that lives on a nondescript Island somewhere in a That's nondescript right. location. Actually, you know, I was thinking about having that Jimmy from NASA guy. Uh, pop on because he sounds neat (laughs) did you you know he was a power ranger for a while in the late 80s oh oh that's okay that's that's dead to this particular human being now or that's it it's over yeah nice nice knowing you we're on we're on the list now danny we are on a uh, list we were we are we are both on we're, we're on like the the uh, kaiju podcast equivalent of the nixon list at this point. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well thank you so much danny for coming on the podcast it's always a pleasure it is always a good time uh having you on you're you're you are one of mine and travis's favorite people in the whole wide world and you're such a wealth of knowledge and we thank you for sharing that knowledge with all of our listeners because they don't always get the best in uh academic entertainment they just have to deal with us on a weekly basis so <laughs> ouch <laughs> no, that's really that's really sweet man thank you i i, I really appreciate that Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would also like to thank everyone for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at Kaiju Weekly. All the links to our social media, as well as the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group are listed in the description of this episode. You can send questions, comments, or answers to the trivia. Well, we're not doing trivia this week, but you can send questions, comments about the next film we're going to do, Gapa, to kaijuweekly at gmail.com. A big thank you to everyone who has supported kaiju rama magazine so far 
As a reminder, issue three is out in digital form and it is available for download at uh, kaijuramamagazine.com. Uh, if you want to help support this podcast, you can do so and get some nice uh, bonus content that Travis and I are yet to record more of. Uh, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kaijuweeklypod. And there is also one more thing you can do to help support this podcast, and that is by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. And what that's going to do is that's going to put this show in front of other kaiju, tokusatsu, and ape fans just like you. It's going to help this show grow. It's going to help us have more fantastic guests just like Mr. Demana here and help this show go on for a very, very long time. It also helps uh, projects like Kaiju Ramen. So the support of this show, the love that we get for this show, helps support kaiju ramen so if you love us and you love most importantly if you love kaiju ramen support us and so therefore we so that we can continue to do kaiju ramen so there's just one more thing to say before we close out this episode and that is to help control the giant monster population have your your damn dirty apes spayed or neutered (laughs) just any ape we don't want to discriminate like in the movie just if you have an ape just take care of it, please. Just please. We don't want, we, we can't have that. We cannot have a repeat of this movie and, in real life. Unless it's um, an in, one of the endangered ones, in which case, let let there be more apes. Let there be apes. But uh, if it's not endangered, then please do the responsible thing. Yes. If your ape, if your ape talks back to you and threatens to kill you, please report. then you may neuter it. <laughs> please. If, if your ape starts talking to you, for heaven's sake, turn it in. <laughs> to the proper authorities. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>